Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Do you have a digital mindset? Check out season three of This is Digital. Season three of This is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including driving profitable growth in enterprise software and how the new sports fan experience can drive revenue. Featuring guests like Chris D'Agostino of Databricks and Scott Crable of Tama Bravo. Check out the latest and greatest on season three of This is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Howdy, hey, and hello there. Welcome to another episode of Weird Finance, where we try to help you feel a little less weird about money, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Paco DeLeon, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Dan Rooker. I know student loans is a frustrating reality for a lot of people, and as much as I wish that I didn't have to do an episode all about navigating the new save plan and gearing up to resume making monthly payments, I think the best way to manage your debt is to choose to face it head on and with eyes wide open. That means getting educated on your options, coming up with a plan, and for some, that means getting professional help. This week's guest is Dan Rooker, a certified financial planner and certified student loan professional. Dan is going to walk us through the new save plan, different repayment options, and how to think about these options as it relates to your finances. I hope this conversation will help you feel more empowered and hopeful that even though everyone's loan is not forgiven, that this new plan is a small step towards progress. Please enjoy my conversation with Dan. Dan Rooker, thank you so much for joining me here on the Weird Finance Podcast to talk to me about something that I am going to publicly admit I'm a little bit ignorant about, which is student loans. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Paco. So Dan, the first thing I want to kind of uncover and get a lay of the land for is you have a lot of fancy letters and designations from a professional perspective. So Dan, you are a student loan planner certified student loan professional. Did I say that incorrectly? I've got a couple. So well, I have two. Some people have more alphabet suit behind their names. For me, 
I'm a certified financial planner. I uh, have been for about seven years and then a certified student loan professional. And that's something that's more recent, but also much more rare, come to find out. There's about 350, somewhere around 350 CSLPs in the United States, and there's 47 million borrowers. Whoa. So you're busy, Dan. We are, we are quite busy, yes. <laughs> I'm really curious about this designation and about this job that you have. I mean, just hearing about those numbers alone is fascinating to me. How many people in one day do you help with their student loans? Yeah, Paco, it really, it really varies. I did measure last year. So last year I did just, just a little over 800 calls, 801 hour conversations with borrowers. And if I had just one job, then I would have done more. But it was at Student Loan Planner as consultants, this is like our locums thing. It's what we're really passionate about. And so we each, the 30 of us, dedicate, you know, based on our availability, how much time to commit to the thing that we're really passionate about. So I can imagine why you, after getting the CFP designation, why you also went into focus a little bit more on student loans, but could you just walk me through what that decision was like for you? Sure. So for my story there, if I cut into when I first heard about Student Loan Planner was about five years ago, I was commuting, doing the one to one and a half hour commute here in Chicago to the firm that I was working for and started listening to a bunch of podcasts, ran across the Choose FI podcast, and then heard Travis Hornsby on there eventually. And I realized that there was this other person in personal finance in a niche area where he was talking to and, and the people that were working at Student Loan Planner, people that I could relate to more directly than the people I used to work with. And it was just, I, I think that that podcast episode alone on the Choose FI podcast was, it convinced me that I needed to go kind of take a different path. So like a lot of people who have joined the team over the years, started emailing the help at studentloanplanner.com inbox, asking questions. I didn't know anything about student loans other than my own experience with my student loans. And I just knew that there was something different that they were helping reduce borrower anxiety and they were doing that at in mass like at at scale and that was something that was also not not something i was used to i was used to just working with 100 families and keeping them happy and this is this is a very different type of work okay before we dig into all the ways that you can help people feel a little bit less anxiety i would love to know based on the conversations you've been having as of late, and we're recording this right as people are starting to repay their loans, right at the top of October. How are people reacting to repaying their student loans again? I mean, I, I can imagine, but I'd love to know what you've been experiencing firsthand. So if they've done a call with us, I think the reaction is very different than if they haven't. Uh, because if they've done a one-on-one a, a -on -one consult with a consultant, then they have a plan and they have an idea of what the big picture looks like long-term, how much that tax bill is going to be at the end. And, but if they haven't, then the, it feels the messaging is more panicked. I would say there, we have uh, a team who are not consultants who are watching the help at studentloanplanner.com inbox. And, and then if it's a complicated question, then pitching it to the rest of us in Slack to group answer. That is a community service. There's no pay for that. I, I'd say that 
for someone who has 300,000 in student loans, who since March 13th of 2020 has not seen their balance grow. And since September 1st to the end of September, their balance has grown by $1,500. That might set them into a panic because extrapolate over the course of a, the last three years, that's almost $60,000 in balance that ha- their balance hasn't grown. That hurts just imagining that, Dan. Yeah, that's our average veterinarian balance or very close to. So, and, and that's just one of many occupations and it's not the worst offender. There's plenty, plenty of borrowers out there who have way more in loans and rightly so would cause someone to panic rather than, you know, seeing the balance go down, it's going up. And so there are things that you can do. And I th- I'd start just by reading a few blog posts on studentloanplanner.com or going to studentaid.gov. That's the source where everything's written from. Wow. I kind of want to follow this thread and I don't want to make anybody feel badly if you call out the worst offender in terms of student loans, but you've really piqued my curiosity there, Dan. So I think I'm going to pull the thread here. Do you mind if we have still a little tea here and talk about some of the worst offenders you've seen in terms of occupations and the ability to pay back the money that folks have borrowed? Sure. So we track everything. The average debt balance for physicians are most like most often booked consult uh, is 310,000 our highest debt balance you know average uh, still across a fair number of consults is 633,000 that's periodontist no dan uh, over half a million dollars <laughs> over half a million dollars we've got 1 2 3 4 we've got six occupations over half a million dollars. I'm getting anxious, but keep going. <laughs> so uh, most of the most of the highest balance averages are in the dental field. Huh. Um, and we don't have to look too much further than dental schools to see what their average tuition is per year, multiply it by four years for most of them, and then increase it by 25% for their accrued interest over that four years. And it's not hard to imagine that those balances will continue to go up on average as borrowers who are younger graduate and finish their degree. It's not like their income's going up at the same level of their debt going up. So I think that student loans will continue to be at the forefront of graduate students' focus in their, and their finances. Wow, you have my head spinning and my mind going in all these different directions because I know a guy who ran a financial planning practice and he specialized in dentists. And I was, I remember thinking that's an interesting niche, but it kind of makes sense because they do have the ability to earn a lot. But now you're telling me they also pay a tremendous amount for their schooling. And then I'm not going to lie in the back of my mind, I've been worried that my dentist is scamming me. And I don't know if you're familiar with this storyline. Of course, there's journalists who have written about it, but and I've even talked to my doctor about it. And, I, you know, because I was concerned. I was like, I don't know if I need some of the procedures. They'll tell me that there's this extra cleaning that I that I can choose that's optional. And they don't make me feel badly if I don't choose it. But I feel like I should probably care about my teeth. And so the first time they offered it to me, I said yes. And then the second time I said no. But that, so, sorry to go off on a dental tangent here, but you just have my head spinning in all the ways that I've filed away a little piece of financial information about dentists and maybe you're going to inspire me here to do a little bit of investigative reporting and 
talk to people who can help me piece it together. But you don't have to comment. But if you have any comments about dentists in that regard, I'm open to them. You know, I was I was just texting my dentist and I know not everybody has that relationship with their dentist, but my dentist also asked me student loan questions. So we have that relationship and I think he's legitimately concerned about the health of my teeth. <laughs> and so uh, we were texting just earlier this week and he, and he said that not worried about your filling as much as oral cancer or cleaning, et cetera. So self-care is vital. Keep it, keep it up. <laughs> Guys, he, he was reading from the actual text is what it looked like. So you know what? I like that. We're both presenting two options here. I'm giving the cynical perspective that your dentist is scamming you and you're saying, no, not all dentists. So this is great. This is a nice holistic yeah. reporting here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get back into student loans now. Let's, I will, I'm focused, Dan, I'm focused. So let's start from zero. Let's say I have student loans. I haven't been paying them throughout the pause and I'm worried mm -hmm. about paying them. I'm worried about how that's going to impact my monthly finances. Are these the kinds of people that are going to call you and you can help? I, I think that they want to, before they go right to booking a call with us, since it's not free, is start from, so if you make more than what you owe, then I, I think that you don't need to book a call with studentloanplanner.com to figure out what to do. If you make more than what you owe, your balance is less than what you make in a year, then the answer is 99% going to be pay the loan off at some point. And so in that situation, I would look to set the loan on a plan that is fixed, that spreads the payment out over a long period of time. If your balance is over $30,000, then you can select the extended level term 25-year plan and have a payment based off of a 25-year repayment path. What that does that helps you is if you're going to do some sort of financing transaction in the future, like buying a car or buying a house, whatever it may be, the lender that's looking at your debt to income ratio is going to see this lower payment for your student loans. They're not going to see what you're actually paying if you want to be done much sooner than that. So that's when not to book us and when, when to think about or consider booking a student loan professional, uh, that would be if the balance is greater than what you make. And I, would, I wouldn't jump even then, right, to book in a call. I would start by reading our blog. See if you can find a blog post for your occupation that's helpful to you. And if not, then email help at studentloanplanner.com. And maybe you'll get the answer that you need and you didn't need to book a one-hour session. And if you have done the math and you've downloaded our calculator and you've run it, but you just need someone to double-check your math, you need a professional opinion, then I would go to that point of booking us. Thank you for that distinction. Okay, there's a lot of repayment options. I was playing around on the studentaid.gov. Is that the right website? I was playing around with all the different calculators. And it's very overwhelming and it's very confusing. And I think, I think what's going on with the calculators, and you can correct me here if I'm wrong, Dan, but it seems like you optimize for different things, right? So maybe you're optimizing for less interest over time or affordability in the short term. Would you mind, and I know this is probably going to be a, a long wandering path, but would you mind walking me through how to wrap our heads around the repayment options? Sure thing, Paco. So there are, to break them down into two buckets, nine federal repayment plans. Five of them are based off of how much you make, income-driven, and four of them are not. Beyond those nine 
major federal repayment plans, there are some alternative plans as well. And we won't chat about those because uh, you get on those plans if you stop making payments. And uh, for the most part, if you're um, on an income-driven plan or you're on a, a plan that's not based on your income, then that's probably a good plan. So of the five that are income-driven, you've got the income contingent repayment plan. You've got the income-based repayment plan, which is really two plans, old income-based and new income-based. And then you've got pays you earn. And most recently, the save plan, the save on a valuable education plan that replaced the revised pays you earn plan. Within those plans, when it's income driven, they ask you to recertify your income every 12 months. And that hasn't happened for a lot of our listeners because since March 13th of 2020, no one with direct loans has been required to recertify. So, and no one is required to recertify again until any sooner than March 1st of 2024. So there's a lot of people that don't need to do anything other than make the required payment because maybe back then their income-driven payment based off of old income is a lot less than it would be if they updated them okay. sooner than needed. That's good. It can be difficult to decide what to do with the advent, the this new plan out there. What I just, you know, someone I was talking to this morning, what they did before our call was they switched. Oh. They switched from an old plan to the save plan. And that's a good idea. Eventually, it just wasn't a good idea to do today because they had a low payment until next March. And instead of having a, a low payment, they now have a you know an $800 a month payment. Oh, and that's real money. Yeah, that is real money, Dan. So interesting. Okay, so I, I get what you're saying is save can be, the, the new save plan can be very helpful in the long run. But the way that we want to, I don't want to say game the system, but, you know, play our cards here, play the hand that we're dealt is we want to find the balance because of this interesting recertification timing thing. But I have maybe a question that maybe we don't know the answer to, and it's maybe philosophical. Why do we have to certify our income if we file our tax returns with the government? Do you know? So by certifying our income, the primary way to do that is through your tax return. Oh, okay. And there is a just recently, a couple weeks ago, a way to have your income automatically adjusted based on your tax return. So your income-driven payment automatically adjusted and borrowers can opt into that. Great. And if if you're reasonably confident that your tax return is always going to reflect old lower income than current income, then that could be a really good set it and forget it type of action. What we find to be common, especially with the audience that we're talking to, is sometimes, especially the self-employed audience, income goes like like up and down. And so maybe certifying your income off of current income is a much better thing to do. So for those folks, our advice has been kind of across the board, don't automatically opt into this. Be proactive every year about which way to claim income. And it's not trying to evade the next 12 months of payments. It's just more basing it off of your now current reality. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like how I view using credit cards. I like mm -hmm. using credit cards for all of my monthly expenses because even though I've quote unquote spent the money, the money still is either in my checking account and my savings account. And it's like a weird way 
to float. That's what they call it in the in the world of finance, where you're using the credit card company's money and your money is still sitting there. And it's silly. It's like a weird thing where it's like, what? How much more interest am I getting? Is probably not that big of a deal, but it's a. It helps. It makes me feel like okay, I'm not. I'm getting the less screwed here in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and that's what it sounds like. I, I think that that's kind of it's a very good analogy. There's going in the right direction, getting that part right. If you can get that part right, you're good to go. And then there's optimization. And some of us like to optimize and win by a little bit more in a sense. Totally. Every little bit counts, Dan. Yeah. So the media's been having a frenzy about the save plan. And, you know, from my perspective, it seems like they really went hard with talking about loan forgiveness. And then that was washed away. And we all cried and we're all so sad about it. And then the media was like, just kidding. But did you know the save plan has actually been in the works for all year, basically? And now it's now it's the the new kid on the block or like maybe we should highlight and talk about it. So I was wondering if you could take some time right now and just tell us about this wonderful save plan and how it's going to be helpful for borrowers. Sure. So the Save on Available Education Plan announced in July is here to stay. As far as we know, it was an executive order plan, which makes it very similar to the plan that it replaced. The revised pay as you earn plan was created during the Obama, Obama administration, and that was also an executive order plan. So something to note about that is it takes a while to create and it's generally there to stay, but it can be changed by a future president. And that doesn't make the save plan the plan to not pick. It just means that you know the benefits that the save plan provide utilize them while they're there. And then if it does get changed, then switch to the next best option. If it, Or maybe what it gets changed to is still better than the other plans. So at baseline, I'd say the save plan is a great plan for a lot of borrowers because it enhanced some of the features of the revised pay as you earn plan, which is already pretty generous. So going back to our early example, when I said 300,000 and someone with a 6% interest rate loan with 300,000, it would grow by 18,000 a year, $1,500 a month. And if you're on a on an income-driven plan and you're making uh, $100,000 a year, then your payment on that plan would be, and you're single, somewhere around $558 a month. So a $500 payment, and then there's some leftover interest, almost $1,000 of leftover interest every 30 days. On the revised pays you earn plan, half of that got paid for by the Department of Ed. And on the save plan, all of it gets paid for by the Department of Ed. That's if you've been looking at studentaid.gov, then that's the 100% interest subsidy. So a way to think about that is if my payment is less than the interest that accrues, my payment based off of how much I make and my family size and how I file my taxes, then the amount that's left over will get subsidized, will get paid for. So the balance never, never grows on that plan. The save plan has many features to it that are pretty generous. And that's one good example. Yeah, that makes me really happy. And I've been thinking a lot about how people have been like the discourse on student loans. And I know it's really fun to be snarky on Instagram, guys. Like that's all I do these days is act snarky on Instagram. So I know I'm contributing to the vibe, but this is a good deal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a great deal. None of the other plans have an interest subsidy. So all of the other plans, if you're paying less than the amount that than the amount that accrues every 30 days, the balance grows. It balloons. So there's this massive amount 
of interest that is being covered tax-free through this plan. And eventually that will add up. Eventually that will become something that is its own sort of bubble. Yeah. Uh, and eventually a lot of us listening to this podcast as taxpayers will be paying for that perhaps. Right. <laughs> but I, I think that when I do a call and I'm, I'm talking to someone about the different plans that are in front of them, I'm there to help them. I'm there to help that individual understand the paths that they could take and also understand the benefit of something that now exists relative to the other plans. Something else that that plan did that I think was really huge compared to the plan that used to exist before it is it now allows a borrower who's married to file married filing separately and exclude their spouse's income. And that's really beneficial because if their spouse doesn't have loans and, or maybe they're thinking about getting married and this student loan balance is holding them back. Well, on that plan, it doesn't have to hold them back. Wow, that's great. This is all great news, Dan. I was honestly like preparing for this call and I was like, is this gonna make me sad to talk about student loans? But it hasn't. It, you're giving me hope here. And I. it's nice to hear that even though student loans were not forgiven, this people's balances are not gonna grow out of control. That has been, I think, one of the most saddest things to to recognize as, as somebody who doesn't have student loans is hearing people's stories of saying, I graduated with $30,000 balance. I've been paying it all these years. I've paid more than $30,000, but I owe effectively still $30,000. So that's just, I'm glad that that will no longer be the case for many borrowers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think about another program that comes up all the time, public service loan forgiveness. That is a program that is one of many forgiveness programs. It's, it's the most popular program. And it is an overlay of all of the income-driven plans. So if you're listening and you're thinking, I want to pursue public service loan forgiveness, and I've heard a lot about it, at baseline, what you need to be on is an income-driven plan. You don't want to be on the standard plan, the extended plan, the graduated plan. Those plans don't generally help you pursue public service loan forgiveness. And then what it what that program does is it lets someone who's on the SAVE plan, for example, which is a 25-year plan for graduate students and a 20-year plan for undergrad students, it lets them hop off of that plan and forgive the balance tax-free after 120 months working for a qualified employer. A qualified employer is uh, any nonprofit employer, any federal employer, municipal, state employer, W-2, working 30 hours a week. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... 
a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. I used to wait until the last minute to give all my tax documents to my accountant. I thought I could handle the rush and get everything done on time. But I was wrong. A couple years ago, I missed the tax deadline altogether. I had to pay penalties and interest. It was a bummer and a costly mistake that could have been avoided. Besides penalties, I also found that waiting until the last minute meant I was rushing through tax preparation, which led to errors and missed deductions. Stupid, I know. Now I start gathering my tax documents early and give myself plenty of time to review them for accuracy. Being prepared means I make sure to contribute to my retirement account and health savings account before the deadline instead of frantically trying to process my contributions in the 11th hour. Waiting until the last minute is not the worth the stress and potential mistakes. Every year I take control of my finances and plan ahead for tax season. When it comes to procrastinating with your tax documents, just say no. Weird finance. Weird When we were preparing for this conversation, we, I had some correspondence back and forth with one of your colleagues, and they they mentioned something called the double consolidation loophole, which oh yeah, I am profoundly ignorant about. Would you mind shedding some light and talking about the double consolidation loophole? Sure. So I'll start by saying it's a loophole that closes July of 2025. It's something that allows parent borrowers who have loans for their children from undergrad in their own name, so in the parent's name, 
it allows the parent to take those loans. They're usually, they're called direct parent plus loans and get them onto an income driven plan. And that's not special for someone who doesn't have parent plus loans. You know, if you have direct loans from graduate school or undergrad, you can select an income driven plan, no problem. But parents who have parent plus loans cannot just select an income driven plan. They're they're ineligible. Those loans are ineligible for those income driven plans. So consolidation, the act of doing a consolidation means you are paying off your old loans with a new loan, a new loan called a direct consolidated loan that is issued to you that inherits the average interest rate of the other loans that you previously had. And usually parents, when they take out loans for undergrad, they take out one parent plus loan for each year of school for their child. And that is one way of financing college today because college is expensive too. And you may get five, six, seven thousand dollars in federal loans in your own name as the borrower, but college doesn't cost five, six thousand, seven thousand a year for tuition. So the, the, the bulk of the rest of it comes from either scholarships, grants, or private loans, or cash from your parents, or a parent plus loan. And so a lot of parents we talked to have taken out parent plus loans because there wasn't cash there. And private loan interest rates were super high because the private lender wasn't going to get a payment for at least four years when their kid graduated. So they have these parent plus loans and they work as regular pay it back to zero loans generally. Double consolidation is a much longer explanation. We have two blog posts, one written by Megan McGuire and then one written by me on our site. And it talks about how to do it. And effectively, you do a consolidation two times, double. And that makes your loans eligible for the save plan. And, and then after July of 2025, uh, which means if you're starting this process, it takes about six months. So I'd say fall of 2024 is the last time that a parent can start the double consolidation loophole. Okay, I'll link to the, these blog posts in our show notes for anyone who's interested in exploring the double consolidation loophole. Now I've gone, I'll tell you about my emotional journey so far on this with this conversation, Dan. I've gone from worried that I was going to be bummed to feeling hopeful. And now I feel frustrated and I'll tell you why I feel frustrated. It's because okay. it seems like you have to do so much work to not get screwed here. And it just feels frustrating that you have to, you know, and I get it. Like we don't live in a perfect society and people are not going to come save us. We have to have our own personal responsibility. But it does feel frustrating that, that it's just like a complicated thing to navigate through. And at the end of the day, I know I think education should be accessible because it's be it's better for our society when we're educating young people. They're getting skills. They're, they're learning how to create value in the world as good economic units, right? As good tax paying economic units. And then to bog them down with all this red tape is just frustrating. But all that is to say, thankful that folks like you and Travis and everyone at Student Loan Planner is, you know, writing things in plain English and helping people navigate through all this red tape. That's what we aim to do. And there's a lot of blog posts that have been authored by consultants been edited by our wonderful editing team. And 
made to sound even better because I think for us as consultants, we're the analysts. We're not wonderful writers. So, you know, what I submitted for the double consolidation loophole blog post was not exactly the way that it was published. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the bones of what uh, of what we wanted to get across came from me and and all of our blog posts are like that. We're thinking about how would the person who's reading this, who doesn't know anything about student loans or is just less literate in student loans feel if it was written this way or if, if the answer was written that way. So tell me, Dan, based on what we've talked about so far, is there anything else that borrowers who are listening should know about what's in store for the next year? Yeah, I think that one of the things that I've heard a lot of people ask about is this on-ramp forbearance period, the next 12 months. So from October to September, October 2023 to September 2024. For that forbearance period, you're not, your loan servicer is going to ask you to make a payment based off of the plan that you're on. And you, the borrower, are not required to make a payment in a sense that the loan servicer will not report your loans as delinquent to the credit bureau, Equifax, TransUnion, or Experian. But that doesn't mean that Equifax, TransUnion, or Experian don't know that your loans are, your payments are late. So they won't be reported as delinquent. It won't hurt your credit score in that way, but your your loans could be reported as late. So this on-ramp period can be good if you really absolutely need it, but I rarely run into a situation where that's true. If your income is low enough that an income-driven plan results in a $0 payment, then that's a much better plan to be on than not making the payment. So the save plan for a single person, if your income, if your adjusted gross income is less than 33,000, your payment is zero. If you are are married, then 44,000, your payment is zero. And so you could be on an income-driven plan with a zero or very low monthly payment versus be in this forbearance period for the next 12 months, which is allowed, but I really find it to be a good solution. I have questions about the tax implications of the zero payment over the life of the loan. So if somebody is legitimately, they qualify and the payment is zero, and is there a situation where they never pay anything back? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there could be. And so I think that, you know, one situation, and this is this is like if it only if it fits your situation. If you are an expat overseas making less than and your foreign earned income exclusion on your is that's a hundred thousand dollars today, your adjusted gross income on your US tax return is zero because of that tax benefit. Okay. In a sense. Wait, Dan, I just right? want to translate what you said to make sure everybody follows the bouncing ball. If you're living overseas and you're earning money overseas and you make less than that exemption of $100,000, then- 100,000 US, yeah. US dollars, then effectively, you're not claiming that on your tax return. Correct. Your adjusted gross income ends up being zero on your tax return on line 11 of form 1040. You would have a $0 payment on an income-driven plan. In fact, on the safe plan, you could have adjusted gross income up to about $33,000 and you'd still have a $0 payment as a single expat overseas. So for 25 years, you could have a $0 payment and your balance would never grow because of that 100% interest subsidy. 
And then you have this tax bill because that that balance is forgiven is added to your income in year 25. Well, say the balance that you started with was 100,000 and it never grew and it's now worth 100,000 and that's forgiven. Well, maybe just take the year off. You add 100,000 of income to your tax return, it gets excluded from that foreign earned income tax exclusion. And now you have a $0 tax bill on it. Well, that's a cute, beautiful example where you're just taking a year off and petting stray cats and drinking coffee <laughs> at cafes and reading all the books on your long book list. Right, Dan? Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I know I described a, a situation. It was unfair and it's very unlikely anyone will end up in that situation. But but that makes it clear. Now I really can understand, okay, th- this is this is what it can look like over 25 years and what the implications are. So great little story and great little analogy, Dan. I appreciate that. What else? What else do folks have to be concerned about over the next year as they're paying back their loans? You know, I think that if we can take a long-term perspective on the loans by way of make it a plan, either by hiring a professional or following the, look at the calculator, plug in your numbers, see what the results are. For a lot of people, there is going to be a tax bill at the end. So if you know what, if you have a good idea of how big it's going to be, then you can start making moves towards saving for that. And you don't have to save the amount that the calculator says you need to save, but we know that saving nothing is not the right answer. Absolutely. I played around with the calculators. I I know I mentioned that earlier, but it was really eye-opening. And if you haven't taken the time to play around with the calculators, I really do invite you to do it because you might be pleasantly surprised, one, and two, to be able to have a piece of technology that just in seconds, mere seconds, allows you to run these different scenarios and then see what your options are. It's If you feel like you're backed into a corner, like you don't know what your options are, you don't have options, the calculator is meant to help alleviate that. Suddenly you do have options and you do have a path that you can choose. At the end of the day, it'll it's all about trade-offs, right? It's all about, okay, if I choose this option now, what is the long-term impact? And I appreciate that lens that you've given us here, Dan. But if you're feeling down and out, you're feeling frustrated, you're feeling backed into a corner, do take the time to look at the calculators, click on the blog post in the show notes, read. And of course, Dan and everybody at the Student Loan Planner is available for your help if you need to have some one-on-one support. I'm curious, Dan, you know, you spend a lot of your time over there just reading and learning and keeping up with student loans. I'm sure a lot of people are like, Paco, just ask him about forgiveness, you know? So I'm going to ask you, where are we at? Is that a possibility? Should we delete that from our minds that the government is going to come and save us and take away our loans? With with Biden debt relief? Yeah. Is that what you're asking about? And that yeah, one? Yeah. yeah, just in general, the climate, <laughs> the the political landscape, you know, all of that. Well, so I, I think we can put Biden debt relief behind us as a, is it going to happen or not? It's not going to happen as of the recording of this podcast. And, but, you know, is future debt relief going to happen? I think that a lot of debt relief is already built into that interest subsidy on the safe plan. And uh, the safe plan isn't just a 20 or 25 year plan. I, I, I forgot to mention earlier that for undergrad borrowers, it's a 10 to 20 year plan. So it could be a much shorter path. It just depends on how much you make relative to what you owe. And we incorporate that into our calculator. 
So if the number is coming up with a, a future forgiveness date that's shorter than 20 years, it's because your balance relative to what you make makes it so that your loans are forgiven sooner. On the side of debt relief, if it happened full scale, like for everybody, all that would signal towards our higher education institutions is that they've been, they're off the hook, that they can continue to raise prices five plus percent every year. The cost of education for the next generation is going to double every 12 years and like it has the past 30 and, and we'll just experience for the next generation, a worse outcome than we have today. And if you want to get kind of pissed about student loans, read a book and I, I don't get paid for this called the debt trap by Josh Mitchell. It's a great book that is not very technical. And it just talks about the history of our student loan system and what we benefited from in this generation and how it could get worse for the next generation. Thank you for that resource. I appreciate that. And a very calm, even killed answer. I appreciate that too. Okay. I want to ask you one more question about student loans. And then I want to ask you some personal questions about your own personal finances. If you will, okay. if you will entertain me. So the question I want to ask you is, let's say we have a young person listening who who is, they're about to make this decision, right? In the next year or next few months, they're going to go to school and they're going to decide the student loan situation. What is your advice for folks who are trying to make that decision? How should they weigh borrowing money now and paying it back later? Okay, so I'll, I've got two answers. If you're in high school and you're thinking about undergrad, Undergrad doesn't have, it's, they have limits on federal loans for a dependent student and higher, a little bit higher limits on federal loans for an emancipated or independent student. And, but either way, it, it rarely covers the full bill for undergrad tuition. So the money for the rest of it is coming from somewhere, like 75% of the bill every year in college is coming from maybe scholarships and grants or loans of some kind. And if it is loans, then you want to think really carefully about that total bill and what your deal is with your parents on who's going to pay that back. Because a lot of parents, you know, feel responsible for paying for something, but you can't blame them for not being prepared. The cost has doubled several times since they originally thought about saving for college for you, if they thought about it. And so I run into a lot of parents who are underprepared, but it's not their fault they were just saving what they were told to way back then. And it's gotten so much more expensive. So think about the total cost of, of education. And if there's a way to reduce that by maybe doing going a non-traditional path and not going to a four-year university at first and getting your prereqs, then that's going to save the family a lot of money. On the grad school side, it's a very different outcome. It's decide before you go to grad school that you have some loans behind you what you're going to do after. And usually in grad school, if you're studying a certain graduate degree, you're going into that career. You can't say the same thing about undergrad. You know, I studied physics in undergrad. I'm not in physics today. So, and that's true. I think for a lot of people, they, they may, they study a major, they enjoy doing that, or it's, it was a major of attrition like it was for me. And they don't do what they studied later. That's okay. Grad school is different. You probably know what you're going to do afterwards. And so look up that job occupation, see what the return on investment is, and also build in the math of, is that 
job likely or unlikely to be for a qualified employer for PSLF? Because if it if it is likely, then borrow as much as you want and go work for a qualified employer, pay 10 years of payments-ish, and the balance will be forgiven tax-free. And if it's unlikely, then think long and hard about the 20 or 25-year forgiveness outcome. Remember, that's a lot shorter than a 30-year mortgage. And, and then make, your, make a decision on what you want to go do and then commit to it. That's all really great advice, Dan. Thank you for that insight. And I co-sign on all of it. I think I, maybe my our generation, I'm going to assume you're in my generation, Dan. I think we are. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to assume, or like, I think the way we navigated it was a little bit different. Like Gen Z has a lot more, there, things are much more transparent. People are on TikTok talking about their experience. They're, I think they just have access to information that we didn't. We were doing a lot of guessing, right? We don't... We we're, oh, yeah. we could Google, we could have Googled, I guess, right? Google was like becoming a thing when we were in college. Could have Googled it's brand sa- new. Yeah, what salaries were, but I think we were flying a little bit blind and we didn't maybe realize the the the, the implications and the stakes, right? That what were the stakes in terms of being burdened by student loans for for the years to come. But all great advice, Dan. Now now I want to put you in the hot seat and ask you some questions okay. about your personal finances. Now tell me, Dan, is there anything you've purchased that maybe to the naked eye seems frivolous, but for you is money well spent? Well, recently I purchased a trip to Ecuador for my dad and my brother and I, and well, for my dad and me, Uh, my brother paid his own way, but for him, it was, he hadn't traveled since I was seven out of the United States. And prior to meeting my mother, he did a lot of traveling. He saw the world. So, uh, you know, someone might look at that and say, that's a frivolous expense. Why would you do that? And for him, it was, I wanted him to experience something to get uncomfortable, take a Spanish class for a week and be in a city that is not the United States. That's so sweet, Dan. I really like that. Can I, before we hit record, you were telling me about a contraption in your office. Would you mind telling the listeners about that expense, which as a non-cat owner, maybe it seems frivolous, but for you, it's also been beneficial. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So my spouse and I, we've had two cats and a dog. We have two large cats, like the kind that can flush toilets and open doors. And we have a 160 pound Newfoundland dog. And we have this litter robot and this litter robot has charcoal filters on it. So you can't really smell anything, but it does sit in my office and it goes off about, it went off right before we started the recording. And it has, my spouse likes to say that it's, it saved our, our marriage because whose responsibility it is to walk the dog and whose responsibility it is to empty the litter box <laughs> had become a thing of a thing to contend with. So this has helped solve that. Thank you for sharing that, Dan. I, I I pressed you for it and I know it wasn't on the top of your list, but I was entertained by it. What's one piece of advice, financial or otherwise, you'd give to your younger self? Don't lease a car right out of college. It's okay to drive something that's older and uh, your own thoughts about what clients are going to think or what the people you're dating are going to think they don't matter as much as uh, building a good financial cushion right out of school. You know, I, my older self, I, I've always worked. I, I worked before I was, I had a pressure washing business as a 12 year old. 
because I wanted to make money to do things that I wanted to do, go to swim meets and pay for things that my family couldn't afford. But I never learned to save. I just made it. And I took that well into my mid-20s. And it took a while and a couple hard lessons to figure out that it's okay to, it's, it's really healthy to save. As they say, the youth is wasted on the young. Is that the phrase? But I get it, Dan. Same boat, for sure. Yeah. Did you have any financial superstitions growing up? For me, I thought that, I think that I, I, had, I didn't have any sort of guidance on having a cushion. It was always what comes in has to pay for what's needed. And you have to kind of fit within that. So my parents got creative and it worked, but, you know, I have conversations. I like to say that my dad is my, my best non-paying client (laughs) and we talk often Uh. about money and, you know, he's a great saver now, but he tells me probably once a month that he wished he'd started 20 years sooner. Oh, well, I'm glad that you can help him out, Dan. And what a your relationship with your dad is sounds very sweet. Thanks for sharing these details. Okay, one last one for you. And you kind of answered this a, a little bit earlier, but maybe you have a different one. Do you have any financial fumbles that you can look back on and laugh at? Yeah, so I need to think about that one for a second. Sure, take your time. I've had so many financial <laughs> fumbles. <laughs> You're telling me. So most recently, we, we bought this two-unit building in Chicago. And I thought we'd done a great job by buying the cheapest house on the block from an estate. And everything was great until we decided, until we got about eight months into the renovation and I realized just how much we'd spent on it. And if I could go back and know the math beforehand by, and here's the financial fumble. I interviewed exactly one general contractor and I should have interviewed at least two. And in whatever thing you do, if it's something that you're, you're not used to, that you've never done before, get multiple touch points from other professionals. That's great advice. So my, my partner is an interior designer. She's been in the industry for a long time. She started really young, like got an internship in college and has been in high-end design. And I'll tell you, Dan, Jesus, the... The things that you think are going to happen when you open up that wall and the money you think you're going to spend, it's always double or triple. And when I was working as a financial planner, I remember we would have clients and they would say, we're going to renovate the house, da, 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 da. Here's the budget. And, you know, my boss- They would blow it out of the water? Yeah. My boss would always say, whatever they say for their financial plan, we're going to double it just because that's just how it is. So- And I didn't get that until I experienced it. I, I went, okay. Yeah, sure. And then it happened to me. (laughs) Sometimes you got to touch the iron or whatever to learn the lesson, right, Dan? Yeah, I think so. Well, this has been such a wonderful, informative, easy conversation about student loans, the save plan, the next year for borrowers. Where can people follow along and stay in touch with you and the uh, student loan planner team? So I think for following, that one's going to be easy. At student loan planner on on Instagram, on YouTube, we have a podcast. So at Student Loan Planner, if you have questions about your student loans that are more general in nature, you feel like your question is really, if you just had this answer, you could do the rest of it. 
email help at studentloanplanner.com. And if you have a question about should I book a call or not, you can email me, dan at studentloanplanner.com. Happy to help there. Thank you for your time and your generosity, Dan. Thanks, Paco. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. And now it's time to ask Paco anything. Welcome to Ask Paco, a segment where I answer your money questions. Let's listen to this week's question. This week I'm answering Ashley H's question about student loans and credit reports, and she sent us her question via email. Ashley H writes, Hi Paco, I have a question about how credit reports work. I recently had all my loans forgiven by the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. My graduate school loans came off my credit report almost immediately, but the same did not happen for my undergraduate loan. 
The loans were forgiven in February of this year, but my undergraduate loan still appears on my credit report. My credit report does not have the loans as delinquent or past due, but the amount of the loan still appears as debt. My question is, how long does it take for accounts to come off your credit report? And should I report or contest this as still being on my credit report? Well, Ashley H., congratulations. I'm very happy that your student loans have been forgiven. So in terms of how credit reports work and how it works with lenders, most lenders typically report to all three credit bureaus every 30 days. And with student loan forgiveness, for some folks, like with your graduate loans, they're reported as paid, you know, within that 30-day period. But for some folks, it's been taking longer, like several months even. And I'm actually not sure why this is the case, but the solution is pretty simple. You have two options. One option is you can just wait and eventually it ought to come off your credit report. I don't really like that option. Let's take the more proactive option to approach. And what you can do is you can file a dispute and you can file a dispute with all three credit bureaus. The consumerfinance.gov website has instructions, which I will link in the show notes. The nice thing is you can file your disputes online. You'll just want to make sure to explain in writing that your loans were forgiven and also include any copies or documents that support your dispute. It is a bit of an administrative annoyance, I know, but honestly, that seems to be the underlying theme when it comes to sorting through student loans and leveraging programs like the loan forgiveness program and even navigating through figuring out a, a payment plan. So I apologize that this is annoying, uh, but the good news is, you know, you can file these disputes online and they should reflect on your credit report relatively quickly and you should see some action and some movement in terms of your score. So again, congratulations. Thanks, Ashley H. for writing in. If you have a question you want me to answer, please call our hotline at 833-ASK-PACO, or you can email us at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Weird Finance. If you like the show, please express that like by giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out a lot. And if you'd like to receive even more content from me, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Nerd Letter. Each week, I'll send you a short email of things I've read and recommend. Sign up for it at thehellyagroup.com. Here we are at the end of another episode of Weird Finance, an iHeartMedia production, and just would not be possible without the help of many wonderful, caring, hardworking, and talented folks like my producer, Ramsey Yunt. He produced, edited, did some sound design, and he even sang a little bit on this episode. Thank you to Ashley H. for calling in to ask a question about student loans and credit reports for this week's Ask Paco Anything segment. Thank you to my friend Jenna Parker for lending your voice for this week's PSA. Our theme song was written and performed by me and my dear, dear friends, Jenna Parker and Andrew Parker. If you have any comments, questions about money, suggestions, or you want to be a part of the show, give us a call at 833-ASK-PACO. That's 833-275-7226. Or send us an email at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. That's it. We'll catch you here next week. In the meantime, take care. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's. Because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Digital trends show up every day in business decisions and actions. West Monroe is the number one strategic partner translating technology into financial value for companies. The This Is Digital podcast applies West Monroe's two decades of secrets and best practices to your business's benefit. Favorite past topics from the last three seasons include how AI and the next generation of employees are shaping the workplace, becoming a product company, Highmark's journey, and what does it mean to put the customer first? Learn more at westmonroe.com.